Captain's Log, Stardate 733-72.1 The USS Vigilant is on a routine survey mission to deepen our understanding of another staple wormhole. However, upon approaching the wormhole, we were pulled into some sort of temporal anomaly and has put us in a galaxy far away from our own. One could say all of this occurred a long, long time ago in a galaxy far away. This episode of These Are the Voyages is brought to you by Blasters, Phasers, The Force, and Technobabble. Thank you. Alright guys, welcome back to another episode of These Are the Voyages. I'm the Captain, I'm Captain Chase McKinney, and today we are indeed in a galaxy far, far away. I am joined by a Jedi Master, Jedi Master David. You might have heard from him, heard of him, uh, with his own podcast, The Contingency Plan. And um, I'm going to let him introduce himself here in a second. So here's your trigger warning. If you get like all emotional about Star Wars and Star Trek being in this turf war, this is probably not the episode for you. We're just going to have some fun today and talk about these two amazing fandoms and how they've kind of uh, helped each other out. So with that, uh, Jedi Master David, take it away, good sir. Well, hey, Chase, how you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you, sir? Very good. Very good. Nice, uh, nice Saturday, Saturday morning. It's nice and cold here in the great state of Ohio. It's been cold for a while. Winter has come. There's another. There's another. Winter is coming. Or it has <laughs> come. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, no, just enjoying it. Uh, looking forward to uh, to talking some some trek wars absolutely absolutely yeah it's i think it's like in the 30s or 40s here in the fort worth area of texas so um it's kind of weird for us it's kind of weird like we actually had a fall it's weird because usually it's summer and then we have to wait until january to have our fall like that's when like the leaves change and fall and fall on the ground and everything uh so yeah it's weird we actually had a fall and we're having an early winter. So, yeah, winter is coming, has come for Texas as well. Yeah, we didn't get a fall, so good for you, Texas. <laughs> <laughs> now, you and I met um, or have known each other uh, for the most part uh, from another podcast, uh, Up Talk and Token, a Lord of the Rings mm-hmm. uh, podcast. And we actually met... Um, officially just a few short months ago at the long expected party in Ohio. Yeah, that was, that was a really cool opportunity to put a lot of names with faces, uh, a lot of folks in the group and, you know, folks you've heard on the, that, that podcast, uh, never think about meeting in real life, but, uh, but we did. And that was very neat. Yeah. And guys, if you ever get a chance to go to his restaurant, which he hasn't opened yet, but he should, um, <laughs> He makes some amazing food. Like you made those mushrooms, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. Everything in there was was homemade. Generally that day. So I'm still dreaming about those mushrooms, and like not in a psychedelic way either. I I would hope not. Got to clarify. You never know. <laughs> some space some space mushrooms. Absolutely, absolutely. We're not as scientific here in this galaxy. Uh, you know, it's just space stuff. It's just space stuff. Just space <laughs> mushrooms. Yeah. So, uh, 
so you, like I was saying in in the little brief introduction that I did, um, you have your own podcast. So, mm-hmm. um, I've been listening for a little while now, probably the last mm, month and a half, two months at least, um, here and there. And uh, for those that uh, might be interested in some Star Wars podcasting and stuff like that, why don't you kind of say a little bit about that, about what you do and what the premise is of your show. Yeah, sure. You know, when we started the podcast, it was really just me and my brother getting together and, you know, talking a fandom that we had enjoyed since we were kids. But it, it kind of bloomed into um, bringing back a, an old book series that has kind of been forgotten and decanonized in the New Jedi Order series. And then it, it sort of broke off from there. You know, we talk news and then I do a, a solo half hour show on Wednesdays and talk some comic books because that was never a strong suit of mine, but there's a lot of interesting tidbits out there in comics. Um, and then, you know, we talk, we've been talking new <coughs> canon stuff, you know, movie lead-ups, trailers, all that good, good junk, The Mandalorian, which is out now. So we just try and touch base on a lot of different things and, uh, you know, give our, give our oh-so-educated opinions on them. Yeah. Okay. There's, so there's a book that I read once upon a time, and you might know this since you're, like, into, like, the books and all that stuff. It was one of those like Star Wars like junior series or something or Star Wars kids. I don't remember what it was actually called, but mm-hmm. um, the only thing I remember is that there were folks that were trying to find the glove of Darth Vader, and that it was like at the bottom of like the sea or something like that. Do you know which one I'm talking about by chance? Uh, it sounds very familiar. There, there were a lot of weird things that came out. It was, it was definitely a wild west of writers. Uh, even the New Jedi Order series, almost every book or every other book was written by a different author. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, a lot of the junior reader stuff that was out there. Uh, <clears throat> I know our, our mutual friend Ez. He, he knows a little bit more about that than I do. Um, but yeah, it's it's funny how they, they like to sort of source on one specific thing, like Darth Vader's glove, we've got to have it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember, so I remember it was, um, God, I had to have been probably in the fifth or sixth grade. I remember I was at the, the local um, elementary school. Uh, I got it from the library there, and I don't think it was part of the Accelerated Readers Program, but it was... Um, I just remember going in there and really being like nuts about Star Wars at the time. Like I didn't really know anything about Star Trek then, and I just remember like reading pretty much anything I could get my hands on. And it was I was right around the same time that um, uh, Phantom Menace was coming out as well. Yeah. So we're we're talking like 1998, 1999 time frame uh, thereabouts, and I was just really right. into it. And I don't know why I remember that story the most, but I just. I enjoyed it, and for some reason, I haven't been able to find it anywhere. Like, not even Wikipedia. And it's it's crazy. And, like, I look at, like, even going to our local um, community library now, like, trying to find it. Like, I'll see the hand of Darth Vader, and I'll look at it, and I'll, like, skim through the pages. And I'm like, this is not it. It was a Jedi mind trick. Apparently. You know, apparently. Just made you think it was happening. Or space <laughs> mushrooms. There you go. <laughs> Lord have mercy. I'm going to have to put a mature rating on this one already. <laughs> Keep it family friendly. So, um, so yeah, that was, that was something I enjoyed. So, um, I've really enjoyed, um, 
what you've done in terms of like the Mandalorian recap episodes and just making me more aware of like the expanded universe, which I'm like an idiot on when it comes to that. It's a it's a deep well to dive in. Even even the new canon books. I mean, there's there's so many things that you can you can jump into. But I mean, it's similar to Trek. I mean, Trek has book series, comic books, oh yeah, all that kind of stuff too. If you really wanted to dive deep, aside from the show, which is pretty immense among all the various shows that have been out, I mean, you, you can you can dive pretty deep. But that's that's kind of what I like about it. You know, you can go off in a bunch of different directions and learn new things, and there's always something new. So with with the Mandalorian, I mean, we'll just camp out here with with like current Star Wars right now uh, before really getting to to the show. Um, how are you feeling about um, the Mandalorian and what it's doing to the current uh, lore of Star Trek between Return of the Jedi and now and recanonizing stuff? Well, first and foremost, I, I actually really love the show because it reminds me of the old spaghetti westerns that me and my dad used to watch. You know, the, the Clint Eastwood, you know, man with no name sort of series, Fistful of Dollars, Outlaw Josie Wales, things like that. And um, it brings in a lot of interesting elements that, you know, folks have been kind of wanting a little bit more of. Mandalore and, and, and the Mandalorians have been reasonably well explained in, in the old canon. However, not exactly as well explained in the new canon, aside from... Oh, Boba Fett and Jango Fett, which weren't actual true Mandalorians. Uh, they were just sort of, well, Boba was a clone, Jango was brought in. Yeah. But um, obviously, I mean, the biggest thing, and I think it's it's kind of non-spoilery at this point because it's been all over, is, is the baby Yoda. Or little Yoda, what? as we all call it. What? <laughs> Hold on. Dude, you just ruined that show for me. Good. Good. <laughs> good chase <laughs> give in to the dark side <laughs> now it's it's been poking around it's become a meme and uh we never really know knew anything about yoda's species that was one thing that george lucas back in the day when the expanded universe was you know hitting on and he said don't don't speculate about it this is i don't know maybe he had an idea or something but he never never formulated it anywhere mm-hmm. and we only saw two of them yoda and then yaddle and the uh, prequel trilogies. And that was it. So now we get another one. We don't even know the name of the species, so we just call it Little Yoda. <laughs> right. And I was thinking, like, why don't we call it, like, Baby Yaddle or Little Yaddle or something? Uh, well, stay woke, Chase. Stay woke. You know? No, no. I mean, it, it, it's, it's fair. <laughs> I mean, that's a fair assessment. The, other, the funny thing about the show is is that they've switched back and forth between genders too you know it's it's a she no it's a he it's your son no it's a girl so it's it's kind of it's hard to tell honestly i just think that yoda was just so iconic and heck i i don't know if everybody even remembers yaddle so when it comes to um the mandalorian the uh, the sin the episode three i think it was of mandalorian Mm -hmm. so i don't think anyone's talked about this um but the part, spoiler alert, by the way, I know you're listening to a Star Trek podcast, but spoiler alert for episode three, even though we're on episode four of Mandalorian at the time of this recording. Um, there's a part in that third episode where uh, the green alien thing, uh, previously you know, referred to as Baby Yoda, 
uh, <laughs> is laying on this like medical table, mm-hmm. and the the cloner or whatever his thing is is saying I saved him, I had to protect him, and stuff like that. And he and right. Baby Yoda looks super weak, and they just pick like he just is taken taken away, no big deal, and. It makes me wonder, like, was anything modified or changed about Baby Yoda? Because, like, they don't talk about it. Uh, yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I, I think it depends on what camp you fall into in this regard. Because, so, one, is it just a clone? Uh, something that had been cloned based upon, you know, whatever. Well, we only know two of them. One of the two's DNA, originators, and, you know, kind of like an experiment. I always kind of wondered if it was more like, so you have that old Imperial who's kind of pulling the strings here. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, it's clear that these, this species is force sensitive, at least we're three for three. Um, and they live for a very long time. And I'm kind of wondering if it's like one of those sort of like fountain of youth, you know, sort of scenarios where they're trying to, you know, figure out why these things are force sensitive or if they can use that. But it's an interesting point you bring up because, you know, after Lil Yoda uh, stopped the um, the horn beast for the Mandalorian, uh, it was very tired out. So it had used the force, it had tapped into that ability to stop this, this uh, you know, animal. And it was all tapped out and, you know, slept for several days. So this experimentation or whatever they're doing in that little Imperial hidey hole, uh, you know, what were they doing? And it kind of kind of makes you wonder if they were trying to tap into his like his force abilities or drain that in some way shape or form i think we'll get more into that as time goes by i kind of have a theory that eventually the imperial remnant will steal the little yoda back Mm -hmm. and then you know that'll be when mandalorian calls his chits and calls in all the friends he's met along the way to try and you know mount a rescue and that i think would be like season two so i have some headcanon about what's going on in Mandalorian leading up to Force Awakens. Not Rise of Skywalker, mm-hmm. but just the Force Awakens era. Um, so, again, headcanon, fan, fanfic type <laughs> stuff right here. Um, I think that they're, when it came to like that medical exam and whatever else is going to happen in this first season of Mandalorian, that they're trying to create... Um, um, or, or replicate more midichlorians and, and somehow be able to spray something or do something to where more people are force sensitive so that the, the Empire, the first, the first Order, whatever, is going to be force sensitive so that they can have, like, more people can be force users and stuff like that. So I think that might somehow lead up to the, the title, The Force Awakens. And again, that's just my headcanon. But... No, I mean that, that's that's definitely a good thought. You know, I, I kind of block midichlorians out because after episode one, we never heard of them again. Sure, uh, it was an interesting construct, though. I mean, it was it was kind of almost an attempt to be pseudo scientific about it, whereas the force had always been portrayed as just this sort of otherworldly, you know, field around everything, and now we're actually uh, looking at looking at it at a cellular level. And it was kind of one of the reasons why I also love Star Trek is because it was based more in, you know, science than in speculation. 
Uh, but Star Trek had always kind of been like, you know, magical space war wizards in space and, you know, with, with laser swords and everything. And it, it just, not everything made complete sense. But, uh, but yeah, that, that is an interesting theory. I, I think um, at the end of uh, The Last Jedi, we had that, <coughs> that, that kid at the end of the movie, like uh, reaching out and having the broom uh, zoom to his hand. Yeah. So yeah, they're 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 we we haven't exactly been explained the awakening, but that would be an interesting an interesting theory. Okay, if it happens, you heard it here, folks. Here, here first, folks. <laughs> there you go. These are the voyages breaking news. <laughs> so um, yeah, so we um, we both um, have an appreciation for Star Wars and Star Trek. Um, and I think we can have a very friendly conversation about this. Now, um, like I was talking about briefly um, in our pre-show, um, I'd kind of like to hear your your Trek story, like how you became okay. um, involved with it, um, like if you remember like a first episode or just who you were with, anything like that, and like what kind of maybe kept you or attracted you to the fandom. And then yeah. um, instead of me talking about my Trek story, I'll talk about my Star Wars story um, in a similar regard. So... Um, if you're if you're up for it, I'd love to hear your Trek tale. Yeah, sure. So when I was uh, when I was a young kid, uh, let's see, the next generation started in eighty seven or eighty eight. Seven. Eighty seven. Eighty seven. Okay. So I was born in nineteen eighty seven. So I missed out on a couple of years before I was conscious enough to understand it. But I do remember uh, this probably would have been, you know, more so around like season five ish when I really started remembering things. Um, but it was on it was on cable TV, and what they would do on the channel, whatever channel it was on, is they would show the original series, an episode of the original series first, and then <clears throat> the new episode of The Next Generation. And I was just really fascinated by it. I mean, I, I, think, uh, I think one of my biggest things was like, like little gadgety things. Like I, I remember even as a kid, I had a tricorder, and a little phaser, and they were in my little backpack, and I'd run around and, you know, zap things. Um, but I, I can't, I don't remember the title of the show, and I'm actually doing a rewatch of The Next Generation now, and I'm starting to remember episodes. Like, I'm in season two in the, the Royale, yeah. where they get trapped in a, in a bad book version of a casino that they can't leave until they finish the book. I was like, oh, God, I love this episode. <laughs> but the one I remember the most vividly from back then was, I don't remember the name, but uh, Jordy, it was a Jordy episode, and he and like his old crew were like de-evolving into these creatures. And, and uh, they had like a, like a bioluminescence about them, if I'm remembering correctly. It's been a long okay. time. <clears throat> I just I can't remember where that episode lies in things because I know I've rewatched this series and it just it skips by. Maybe it's like your book and it didn't actually happen. <laughs> 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 but I just I, I just remember like some of his crew started this de-evolving process and then he I think he was in the hollow deck like trying to recreate a scenario and it was I don't know there there was this there was this whole thing or it, they were recreating. Uh, video imaging of one of the crewmates that had like gone missing 
but anyway, he they start to do this whole devolve thing, and they're but they're able to fix it. That's always the thing. It's like sometimes in in wars, you, you don't always fix the problem, but in Trek, they find some sort of scientific way of fixing it, like uh, the Naked Now, which was used twice yes. in the original series, and then in the Next Generation, you know, the sort of alcoholic syndrome that happened to everybody. They were able to fix it, and then oh, we can't use that old formula. We have to modify it, which gave me one of probably the greatest sound bites of Captain Picard, the <laughs> Beverly. <laughs> that that part just you just I, I love Patrick Stewart anyway. But um but yeah that that episode always stuck in my in my mind. I don't remember if I was necessarily scared of it or or something, but it, it just fascinated me and you know kind of Jordy back then was my favorite character because I mean he had this this crazy visor and he could see all these different spectrums you know through that and he was an engineer and he was a smart guy and he could fix the ship and everything because even in the original series I always loved Scotty and then later on I really well in Deep Space Nine era it was always Worf it was like Worf and the Klingons that's all I really wanted to hear about yeah give me a Batleth man <laughs> <clears throat> but, uh, but yeah that, that's kind of how it started for me and then uh, you know just throughout the years I, I think we were very fortunate about our age bracket where you know, kind of caught the, t the mid to tail end of Next Generation, and then you got Deep Space Nine, which I, I, don't know, I don't know which one would absolutely be my favorite, but Deep Space Nine is one that I can go back and watch over and over again, and they deal with a lot of really interesting issues in there, which has always been a Trek thing. But, you know, Voyager, I wasn't so hot on, but it's okay. I've definitely watched it. And then Enterprise comes out, and uh, man, the, the first season of that, I loved it so much. And then they did the the whole, what was it, the um, uh, the Zenny? The Zindi? Uh, Zindi uh, arc. And I wasn't super enthusiastic about that, but I mean, it was okay, but I, I kind of like some of the other things a little better. But uh, that, that series, I... It only lasted like four seasons. Yeah, and by the way, the the episode that you were talking about from Next Gen that's called Genesis, and it's from the, the Genesis, the seventh season, the last season of Next Gen. Wow. I, hey, I'm glad you found it because uh, I, I didn't want to sound crazy. It's like I'm just misremembering. <laughs> yeah. No. I knew it was there. No. No Jedi mind tricks. No. No memory gaps. Excellent. Nothing like that. We're good. You didn't put a hypo spray in me to make me forget. Not okay. yet. Not yet. Maybe maybe when we're done with this, I will. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I, I really enjoyed Enterprise as well. Uh, ended kind of on a somewhat of a lame note, but I mean, it is what it is. I haven't really watched Discovery, which I kind of need to. And then I'm really excited for Picard once that comes out in January, I believe. Absolutely. Uh, We'll we'll see if uh, we'll see if B four learned anything. <laughs> so I, I've said this before, but Enterprise I think is one of my favorite Star Trek shows. Um, I think it's mm -hmm. in my top three. So it's Next Gen, Deep Space Nine, Enterprise for me. Um, well, it's just so interesting to see the beginning of it. Absolutely, you know, sort of in in this in this ship that's not. It's still very militaristic. It's still very kind of like old feel, but, you know, obviously they're going off in space, you know, pushing the boundaries of warp technology, figuring out their weapons, encountering all these species that we've we know about. I mean, you know, Tellarites were a big deal and uh, oh, um, Andorians. Yep. 
were also a big deal, but now it's like you never hear about them because it's all Klingon and Romulan. And, right. Uh, so, yeah. I, I give a lot of props to that. I, I kind of wish they would have kept it around for a little a little bit longer, but, you know, I understand. Uh, how'd you like the theme song of that in comparison to everyone else? Little Rod Stewart? So, it's been a long road. <laughs> I, was talking, I was talking about this a little bit in the last episode with Eric. Uh that I loved, I loved, loved, loved season one and two's um, theme song, but they did the yeah. remix for seasons three and four, <laughs> and like I said in that last episode, I like country music, but that was just way too country, country bumpkin for me, <laughs> and it just felt super cheesy and cheap, and so I wasn't too yeah. keen on on the season three and four theme song, but it's okay, <laughs> but. But it was just such a departure, you know. <laughs> but it, it, well, it, I actually did like the the original theme song too. Yeah, it was good for what it was. Yeah, yeah. And and to your point, like with um, with uh, Enterprise and the ship and everything, I liked how uh, how it was certainly closer in terms of like the timeline because it was in the twenty second century. Um, so it was a lot closer to us, um, even if it was like mid ish twenty second century. Um, I liked it. I liked the fact that it was more of like a submarine feel. Um, yeah. It wasn't well polished or anything. It didn't have any like the frills. It didn't look like the Hilton in space like the Enterprise D did, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> um, and it, it was just, it was really good. And I really, really enjoyed it. And um, the show would have actually gone on longer had it not been for the head of uh, CBS at the time. Uh, so uh, mm-hmm. Les Moonves was not not a fan of Star Trek at all. He didn't get it. And with with the companies splitting, excuse me, with the companies splitting in 2005, that's the reason it ended. He's like, I don't want Star Trek. I'm oh, done with this. Okay. So he's like, screw you guys. We're we're ending Star Trek Enterprise. So that's why they kind of had to shoe in uh, like shoehorn in the the ending that they did with um, that was like that was a tie-in for Pegasus wasn't it yes which is an amazing episode and I felt like it, it kind really of really was yeah. I felt like it kind of uh, watered down the episode uh, back in next gen yeah. just a little bit it did so um, let me say this for the listeners that it might be brand new so Pegasus was an episode I believe it was either season six or seven of the next generation and it's a, a, a Riker centric episode his old commanding officer comes on board um, and he, his, this commanding officer is now an admiral with Starfleet, and there was some pretty sketchy stuff that they did back in the day in terms of types of technology that they were using on this old ship. And now there's some stuff that's starting to hit the fan, and Riker's trying to decide what he needs to do, how he needs to handle it. So that episode of Next Gen is him kind of struggling with it. We don't see all the struggle, but then this, this episode in... Um, of Enterprise, which is actually the series finale, becomes more of a next-gen episode than it does an Enterprise episode. Right. Yeah, the, I mean, they use the holodeck to solve a lot of their problems. I mean, Jordy creates the perfect girlfriend in, uh, in that, uh, oh, shoot, when they had that baby space alien suck onto the ship mm-hmm. and he was trying to figure out how to maneuver out. Or no, 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 wait, that was not the one. It was, uh, ah, shoot. I'm, I'm mixing up episodes now, but no, they were they were in that trap, and they were trying to like pilot their way out of the trap in a specific way, and they needed the computer to run simulations. 
and they got the original one of the original creators or drafters of the Enterprise. And was that um, he met her later, and it wasn't the same. Gosh, now I'm getting my. That was a good episode. That was either Minefield or uh, Samaritan Snare. I'm getting a mixed. I up. believe it was the Samaritan Snare. That sounds right. I think. Yeah, that was a good episode too, though. I I, I enjoyed them going on the the alien ship and. You know, getting their little data modules and like seeing the old things. Right. And, you know, of course, Picard being the amateur archaeologist that he is. Of course. You know, he loved that. Of course. Getting all excited. So, we, we were talking about the holodeck and how the in the show that the holodeck is used to solve a plethora of, of different issues and challenges that the crew comes up with. I'm going to kind of go way off the reservation for just a second. Have you ever seen the Orville? Oh yeah. Yep. Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna go there for a second. The Orville does stuff that next gen and other nineties era Star Trek probably could never do the way that it, that that show has. There is a brilliant, if not funny, it's definitely brilliant episode of the Orville that specifically addresses addiction. Um, specifically porn addiction. Do you remember this episode? Okay. I don't I don't think so. I, I watched maybe the first two seasons. I, I kind of fell off just, you know, getting rid of cable or, you know, sure. getting it back. So, yeah, I, I don't believe I remember that. Okay. So it's in season two. For anyone that watches, um, that watches it, um, it's in season two of the Orville. And there are um, some marital challenges that are going on between... Um, Bordis and his mate. Um, so he doesn't want to be intimate with his with his partner. So instead, he goes and he's being intimate with holographic projections, and he ends up getting addicted to it. So I I love that Seth MacFarlane was willing to do that with the Orville um, yeah. and talk about that because. I was I was I remember even starting out watching um, Next Gen the way that I did. I was like, wait, you know, what if they get addicted to the holodeck? And we kind of saw that with Barkley yeah. a little bit, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they yeah they did. They had quite a bit about old secret agent Barkley back there. Yeah. So we saw that just a little bit, um, but it didn't really go, you know, go any further with it. It just was like a one or two off type of thing and you know he'd rather be you know in these hollow novel type adventure things than in real life so yeah anyway that's a good call i think i think a lot of people saw the orville as uh, a spoof and i don't want to speak in generalities but i know some people that i had talked to were kind of well is it a spoof i mean it's that mcfarland guy yeah but i mean it, it honestly really it really was actually a lot better than even I thought it was going to be. And I, I'm, I'm a bit remiss that I haven't, you know, picked back up on it. But, uh, but yeah, reasonably enjoyable. A little silly at times, but reasonably enjoyable. Yes. Yeah. So I'm, I'm really hoping to see maybe some more of that stuff. Like, that's the thing I like about sci-fi is that it's it, it does a commentary more or less on like what's going on without people getting all bent out of shape and emotional but it gives you a new way of thinking about yeah. about stuff when done right so um, well you know I was I was talking with somebody recently about um, I don't I, I can't remember episode wise uh, but now that you had this in my brain 
there is a scene or two in the first season of The Next Generation where you will see male uh, Angel officers one. wearing... Angel 1. Oh, know, oh, oh. Wearing the... Dr- no, they're wearing the, the little mini skirts. Like they, oh, the scants, like yeah. Like they used yeah. to. Yeah, like they used to in, in uh, the original series. And I never caught that as a kid or anything. I guess I just wasn't looking, but... You know, I saw it and I was like, oh, that's what everybody's been talking about. And there you go. So it's actually an insanely progressive series. Um, It's not just sci-fi. It it does tackle uh, different different stuff that you wouldn't necessarily think about. But it it always kind of did it in a little subtle way. And that's kind of what I was alluding to with Deep Space Nine. I mean, Deep Space Nine uh, took on a lot of uh, race-related issues. Uh, one of the coolest episodes was when um, Cisco was uh, stricken down by like a vision from the prophets, and it essentially takes him quote back in time to where he's he's Benny, and he's a writer for this sci-fi magazine. Far beyond the stars. And he gets this, there you go, and he gets that idea for you know the captain, the black captain Cisco, which was him, right? Or was it? But and they wouldn't publish it, and they, you know, he got beat up at one point, and you know his son was—I uh, don't remember—something happened to his, to, you know, that character as well. And but anyway, it was it was a very interesting episode tackling different issues that would have happened in in America at that time. But they did it in a way that wasn't overly preachy, right? Because you know how people get in preachy. Absolutely. <laughs> then, then, then they start calling names and stuff, and we lose all reason. So, absolutely, yeah. Like heaven forbid, we have a different opinion and stuff. And <sighs> yeah. <sighs> well, that's another topic for another show. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it. Let's start a new podcast. <laughs> we can call it Trigger Warning. <laughs> Trigger. That's actually good. I like that. Copyrighted. <laughs> you heard it here, here, folks heard it here first so um well i definitely want to keep talking about about star trek but um uh a little bit about star wars too i mean this is a friggin' trek wars episode for crying out loud yeah you gotta get your gotta get your uh wars story out there absolutely how did you get into it so my earliest memory and i might have mentioned this uh I can't remember if I mentioned on this show or if it was just in passing with someone else but my earliest memory of Star Wars and watching it, I had to have been maybe seven years old, maybe eight, um, and we were visiting uh, my mom's family up in Ohio and uh, in Ohio at the time. And uh, my uncle still lived in Toledo then, and I remember he had this like big old giant um, big screen TV, had like old school projection and stuff like there was a drawer and lights oh, yeah. that like came in from the back onto the screen and stuff and he had I can't remember if he had it on laser disc or if it was VHS but it was Empire Strikes Back yeah and solid one so um, he's like hey you want to watch this I'm like okay and he didn't I w- it was like the morning time so it was probably like 7 in the morning maybe and he didn't have any cereal or, or bread or anything, but he, him, it was either my Uncle Howard or my Aunt Diane, they they cracked open a can of Chef Boyardee raviolis for me and heated it up. <laughs> so I had I had that for breakfast, and I was watching Empire Strikes Back on his big screen TV in his basement. And 
Holy cow, dude. I was hooked. I was hooked. And um, I think part of the nostalgia is fueling that being my favorite Star Wars movie. Mm-hmm. But it's also just a well-done movie as well. Um, and I feel like I went back and I watched New Hope because I can't remember watching New Hope prior to that at all. And yeah. um, and Return of the Jedi, trigger warning, bored the crap out of me. I'm like, why are these teddy bears like able to beat the Empire? Huh. Ez, cover your ears. <laughs> <laughs> but I liked I liked the lightsaber. Like my favorite part from Return of the Jedi was definitely uh, when they're going out to the Sarlacc pit and Luke's like, "All right, last chance," and he gets on the diving board yeah. and there's like this well timed like launching of the lightsaber and stuff like that. I thought that was so stinking cool. So uh, yeah, like the that part I'll watch over and over again of Return of the Jedi is just the Sarlacc pit fight. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Empire Empire definitely is my favorite, and uh, I remember years later, so we're talking again, 1999, when Phantom Menace is coming out, man, I collected all the stuffs that, like, when that, like, the promotional marketing yeah. stuff that came out, like, do you remember, like, the Same Pepsi time. cans? Do you remember the Pepsi cans? I, yep. I had them all on a shelf, cleaned out. Yep. <laughs> but yeah, I had them too. I remember all those. I remember. Got to get that Qui-Gon Jinn one, man. Yeah. I remember that. Um, there was like, I don't remember what it was. Like, I think it was like maybe a Lunchable or something. They had like some old like C-3PO and other character, you know, yeah, stuff on the right. lunch Lunchables. And I would save like the cardboard from the Lunchables and stuff because I was just so hyped about it. And the, fir- <laughs> the first time I went and saw Phantom Menace uh, in theaters was with my cousin. And mind you, I'm still living in Texas at the time, so... Yeah. Um, a year before we moved to Michigan, I go and see um, Phantom Menace with my two older cousins at Great Lakes Crossing in, I think that was Auburn Hills, Michigan, um, at that movie theater. And we went to the food court, and we all got Chinese food in to-go containers. And I don't know how we did it, David. We somehow snuck our Chinese food into the theater, <laughs> and we ate Chinese food while we were watching uh, Phantom Menace. And it was That's glorious. Great. It was a good day to die for Qui-Gon Jinn. Kapla, my friend. (laughs) But, yeah, it was, that was great, and I remember going to, uh, what was it? I didn't go to the midnight release of Attack the Clones, but I was just watching Attack the Clones on Disney Plus recently, and um, I can remember downloading the Yoda fight scene on like Kaza or Kaza or whatever that was called mm-hmm. and just like watching that fight scene over and over and over again yeah so yeah. it was cool to see him actually be able to you know move and flip around and do cool stuff because I mean obviously in the the original you know trilogy he was old yes <laughs> yeah, you see him in Empire Strikes Back and he's well he's a backpack I can be a backpack while you run. Exactly. I'm glad you know that too. I never know what anybody's gonna know, but that was a good, Seagulls, that was a good one. Stop it now. Exactly. <laughs> and then and then 2005, when um, when Revenge of the Sith came out again, I went with the same cousin that I went to with uh, Phantom Menace. By this time, um, I was a senior in high school, 
mm-hmm. and we went to the midnight release, and holy crap, that was amazing as well. And all this, yeah. all this was before I converted to being a Trekkie. Wow, really? Yeah. So I was like nuts about. I wasn't. I wasn't nuts. I was a fan. Okay, I wasn't obsessed like I am with Star Trek or anything, but I I really enjoyed Star Wars. And, like, some of the books here and there, like, I tried reading one of the books when I was at, like, a Boy Scout summer camp one year, and I just, I don't know what it was, I just couldn't get into it, and I wish I could remember the book. You'll probably know, it was, like, something to do with Luke Skywalker. There we go. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let me just dive into my plethora of (laughs) knowledge. No, it was, like, um, I just remember it was, like, around 1998 with one of the books that I was reading, and I don't know. Okay. That's all I know. But it was like a paperback, like mass market or mass whatever mm-hmm. it is type pocketbook, you know. And anyway, but I re- Star Wars is cool. Um, I enjoyed it. Um, I think opinions aside of other folks, I really enjoy the prequel trilogy. And the reason I enjoy the prequel trilogy is because I'm huge into political thrillers so Mm -hmm. I think that's part of the reason why I can really like um, the prequel trilogy as much as I I do and partly because I was at that age that it was targeting pretty much yeah exactly well and I I think uh, this not to get too much on a Star Wars tangent but I think one of our biggest issues in that fandom is folks forgetting when their Star Wars actually was and then not not kind of taking things for what they are. Because, like, yeah, I mean, in our age bracket, it was the prequel trilogies. And Episode One is still probably... It's definitely in my top three of all Star Wars films because it was just, it was just iconic. I don't care that it had Jar Jar Binks and, you know, little Anakin. You know, this is pod racing and all this stuff. I loved all of it. Um, now this is pod racing. Exactly. <laughs> and you know, my my brother's favorite was was uh, Revenge of the Sith. So it was it was your your episode three. But I think folks lose the plot because you definitely get a, a far older generation that look at the new films today and it's like, well, these are garbage. They're horrible. Why would you do this? But I've been to events and so forth, and like younger kids, there's one that always sticks in my mind. It was a uh, live podcast from uh, Rebel Force Radio or whatever. We went up to Cleveland and did this whole big thing. It was around when Solo dropped. So they had a couple kids, you know, 11, 12, 13-year-old come up, and what's your favorite Star Wars movie? And every one of them said The Last Jedi. Why? Because it's right here, right now. It's what they're going to remember. It's a scene from their childhood. And it's not a bad movie. But I think people just have a lot of expectations. And even I've been lulled into that trap thinking about or overthinking about things, over theorizing about stuff. You know, like when Picard comes out, I <laughs> I don't even know what to think about that, but I'm so excited about it. I, ju- I don't want to over speculate like I did for The Last Jedi. Mm-hmm. And, Snoke. I was really hoping for a little bit more with Snoke, but Picard Snoke. There it goes. New theory. Whoa. Bro. (laughs) (laughs) 
but that's kind of the silly stuff that did come up during that. But uh, anyway, I, I think I think everybody just sort of has to just enjoy it. Just enjoy it because after this next movie, it's it's done. I mean, you'll have other stuff, but the Skywalker line is is done. Right. And okay, so let me just say this one thing that's kind of a pet peeve about like this whole saga thing, and then I promise we'll talk about Trek Wars <laughs> in earnest. So I was at um, a thrift store not too long ago, and I came across the old Faces VHS set. Okay? Mm-hmm. And on it, unless I got like a Jedi mind trick or some kind of hypospray going on to screw with my memory, that it said the complete saga or the saga is complete or something like that yeah. on it okay and then you have a, you know one two and three uh, produced and you know released and stuff like that so now you have all six and right. the blu-ray set that I have on my um, entertainment stand in the living room it it says the complete saga <laughs> and now we're getting episode nine released and it says the saga ends. Yeah. <laughs> I don't believe that for a second. I'm just waiting for episode 12 to come out and them say the saga is over. I swear every, every <laughs> it seems like every 10 to 12 years I'm hearing the same thing like the saga has ended or the saga comes to an end or is complete or some nonsense like that. Well, they did build. They did build in and out here. Now they said the Skywalker saga, so that just means you can't have any more Skywalkers. <laughs> but you can still continue doing movies. Ray's not a Skywalker. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> anyway, I, I I do I do understand where you're coming from. I mean, I would never be surprised if in a decade or two decades time we didn't come back and have another Star Wars. It, it, it you know along this line. Oh, they still didn't kill the Emperor. Who knows? It wouldn't surprise me, though. <laughs> Long have I waited. Longer than this last time. Do it. Do it. Do it. <laughs> kill him now. Oh. oh so, okay. So you've brought it up um, just a couple times, and the show's definitely talked about it um, pretty much every episode. Uh, Star Trek Picard coming out January 23rd, 2020 on CBS All Access. Uh, We know we're getting uh, Sir Patrick back um, in the role of Picard, of course. And we have a few other um, Star Trek alums that we know of at this point with uh, Jonathan Frakes and Marina Sirtis, respectively, as uh, Riker and Troy. And we have Brent Spiner as um, B4 slash Data slash question mark uh can i ask you though so brent spinner i mean obviously they're all getting older data's an android yeah or b4 is an android what do you think about that continuation you know what i mean because obviously even when you know spoiler alert if you didn't watch nemesis you know when data sacrifices himself he was even looking different then because i mean you know he was he was a you know young young thin guy when he originally played it in the next gen so now he's definitely older i mean you you've seen him you know out and about and doing his thing he's still a pretty active guy but what do you what do you think about about him kind of them continuing the data role knowing that he's an android or do you, or is there an explanation uh you know we 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 so we augmented his face 
with aging technology. So there's, there have been like the, the two or three some odd trailers that have come out for the show, getting people hyped for it. And that has been some of the concern, some of the questions that um, Trekkies are having about this upcoming show. Like, how the devil are you going to bring him back? I mean, he's like, what, 17 years older than he was when Nemesis came out. Um, I mean, he still looks, I mean, Brent still looks good, but... Oh, he does, yeah, for sure. But how's this going to work? And one one or, or a couple of YouTubers and a couple other uh, Trek accounts that I kind of pay attention to and keep my ear to the ground with um, are saying that the trailer that we got isn't going to be the the final appearance like in terms of like the look of data mm-hmm. so they're going to they're going to do some like de-aging technology from what I understand to make him look uh. more like the nemesis version of data as opposed to like next gen, uh, you know, TV show or early movies, basically. So, I'm kind of okay with that. Uh, I think if if they can create this device to create emotions or to help him experience emotions, which I don't think he needed because Data has emotions yes. throughout the show. Without yes. the ship, but that's for a, that's a different argument altogether. Uh, right. I think that they could have done something like with the Daystrom Institute or with any kind of scientific robotics, whatever, in the twenty third, twenty fourth, twenty fifth century. They could have come up with something to to explain the aging for an android. I mean, yeah. It, I agree. I mean, we we saw in Measure of a Man um, that they were trying to create essentially an entire like subspecies, a, like a, almost a slave race of androids. Which yeah. I think that's going to be very integral in Star Trek Picard. I think they're going to take. I think they're going to take Ooh. Borg, like the Borg survivors, and they're going, which are human, by the way. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think they're going to try and create like a positronic brain, and or they've done it, and they're going to try and do that with Borg survivors. That's my theory. That's my head cannon at this point. Oh, okay. So I think we're going to come full circle with Measure of a Man personally. Now, if that doesn't happen, that's fine. Nice. But that's kind of how I see it playing out. But back to data. I think they could have come up with a chip or a subroutine or something to where they could have justified his aging because he's endeavoring to be more human why the heck not why not be able to create like that capability for his his jowls and his skin to wrinkle and sag and things like that right well it'll also be interesting to see if he kind of picked up on more of data's trait data's traits because i mean obviously this is before it's a different but he was able to upload something into him I, I at the end of nemesis he was uh whistling that song yeah that data was trying Blue to sing. yeah so i mean anything anything's possible but that that's again it kind of drops back to why i can enjoy star trek so much because they'll they will explain it so they'll make an explanation to it <laughs> one thing that's kind of a little suspect right now with what's going on in terms of how they could or could not explain something is 
in 2009, we had the J.J. Abrams Star Trek films come out, and we had a tie-in comic to that called just Star Trek uh, Countdown. And it was okay. uh, it's like a four or five issue comic. I have the collector's edition on my, my bookshelf. And uh, spoilers. Do you have any spoilers for you, David? It's fine. You can spoil it. Okay. So for anyone else, too bad you're going to hear it anyways. So in it, B4 has been taken over by Data. Data's memory. So Data has been resurrected. And Data is the captain of the Enterprise E. Yeah. Nice. So, but the the issue that we're now having is that the Star Trek Picard Countdown comic that came out very recently, in the last handful of days, really, at the time of this recording, is that it's kind of overriding what happened in the Countdown comic. So, the Countdown, the Star Trek Picard Countdown comic, is now a st- it's now canon basically and okay. and what we saw in the 09 comic book countdown it's kind of becoming like beta canon so gotcha. we're the trying to figure out like what to do with it at the time you know like what do we do with this now because and then we have other issues like with the star trek online video game like we have a ship from star trek online um, like the odyssey class and yeah. that's not even supposed to be invented until the um, I think uh, first or second decade of the uh, 25th century and now here we have it late 24th century as Admiral Picard's ship uh, so we got a little we have I don't want to say we have canon violations but we have some canon difficulties right now in, in how we sort through and what we do with it uh, well, listen. It's it's allowed. I mean, it's strictly from a uh, from a war's pr- uh, prospect, we we screw with canon all the time. It's fine. <laughs> but yeah, I, I always kind of wondered about that because it, it actually another interesting thing with Trek is that we start to tackle certain morality plays here, especially like with you know your Crusher and and even Bones too, but. So B4, if, if you say that Data took over, what happens then to B4? Because it's, it's another personality within that body. So are we saying that it's just gone? Uh, did they put it in a little matrix with Moriarty somewhere to have adventures? Uh, y- y- you know what I'm saying? Well, I don't know what would have have actually happened. That's a good question, though. If we think back to um, The Offspring, which was a season three episode of Next Gen, that's when Data creates um, his daughter. Oh, yeah. So yeah, Lol, Lol right. is created, and she advances very, very quickly, more, even more so than right. her, her father, Data. He ends up taking her memory engrams, integrates it into his. So, so he's able to have her memories and his own memories integrated into one another so i can only speculate that that's something that might have happened maybe like in the overriding process he'd still have the memories of before in some way or another yeah no that, yeah that, that's a good call good call so hmm. uh, i'll be interested to see what they do yeah yeah so it's going to be really interesting i'm looking forward to doing um kind of like what you and other Star Wars podcasts are doing, doing like reaction 
episodes once that happens. So yeah. uh, that's that's going to be fun. And then that and Discovery Season 3 is going to be coming out. I don't know when. There's no release date yet. Um, but Jonathan Frakes is saying that it's going to be more optimistic than it than the past two seasons have. It's going to be more along the lines of past Star Trek, like Roddenberry Star Trek, which that excites okay. me. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then Lower Decks, which is going to be like a, a an animated Rick and Morty style uh, Star Trek show. <laughs> um, and then there's also going to be another one, which we don't really know too much about, called Star Trek Prodigy, and that's supposed to be a Nickelodeon show. Um, so oh. we're just bursting at the seams when it comes to like this you know rebirth this new fifth wave fourth fifth wave of star trek it's crazy you know yeah that's actually great it's funny lower deck i hadn't heard about that i I remember the the episode of the lower decks yep that actually i i enjoyed that episode kind of focusing on other other folks and your main cast is kind of cool Wow, I didn't know there was that much coming out. I'm, yeah, I've been so remiss at like keeping track of all my various podcasts. I, I've obviously missed things. <laughs> <laughs> I can't. I have like so many podcasts to listen to right now. It's not even funny. That yeah, that's part of my problem. It's just so much. Yeah, yeah. So let's let's talk Trek Wars now that we're you know let's do it. so far into this <laughs> with our <laughs> rambles. <laughs> We've dived deep. We're coming up for air, <laughs> realizing the mission. So, okay. So, some people might not know this, and I'm not too sure how much of this you know, David, but mm-hmm. um, Star Trek and Star Wars have really scratched each other's back um, since the beginning, in, in a way. Yeah. Um, Gene Roddenberry um, had his own experience with writing different types of TV shows, and um, it was really Lucille Ball that really gave him a shot. Lucille Ball of I Love Lucy gave him a shot right. with um, with Star Trek. Like, just not original series, just Star Trek. That's what it was called back in the 60s. And what people might not realize is that it goes off the air in 69. People know that, but it goes off the air in 69. Yeah. And there's just, like, this vacuum, and no one really knows what to do, and George Lucas ends up coming up with Star Wars. Which was in part inspired by Star Trek. So, what do you say to that, yeah. or how do you react to that? No, I, I, I think, I think it's definitely, uh, I think it's fairly evident. Honestly, there's again, like we've kind of already said, there are definitely different tracks that have that have been went into, but I. I think uh, I think too much is made out of out of the rivalry the rivalry between the two. Mm-hmm. There there's just there's so much to love, but again, as I as I've said, it's like you you have sort of the the mystic and the scientific between the two of them, and there's room for both, or at least I feel that there's room for both. Uh, but again, I, I there are different reasons why I love both, but I still love both. But it is it is cool to you know sort of think and and. <clears throat> kind of speculate on you know george you know sitting down and like having this idea and going through it and and the inspirations because eventually we're all inspired by something or someone right so uh yeah it's 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 cool it's cool to think about and and not only that i mean it wasn't you know 100 percent just you know gene roddenberry star trek or anything like that of course i mean there was like 
I, I know the opening crawl. Um, like, wasn't that something that had to do with like um, old wartime movies that would like air, um, like in around um, like the, the Great Depression and World War Two and the uh, the Korean right. War and stuff like right. that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, there, there's a lot of interesting parallels. I mean, there was a whole thing recently about. I don't remember who was calling for it, but to have kids stop wearing stormtrooper costumes because, you know, Nazis. <laughs> uh, but when you really think about it, uh, and you think about the time in which it was written and the times gone past and the history of things, because you can't really deny history. It's there. It, it molds us, and, and, you know, you're going to think about it, but, um, but yeah. Those those old old wartime movies were a lot of propaganda. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I think you're right about the crawl though. And like even um, like some of the shots, like with uh, like in A New Hope, for example, like the turrets that are on the the Death Star, and like even like the yeah. the um, oh, crap, what's it called? Like just the the gun that Luke and Han are shooting. On the Millennium Falcon. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. His little turbo lasers. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, like, a lot of that is from there. But, you know, going back to, like, the whole Star Trek, Star Wars kind of tie-in thing, Trek was a a source of inspiration for Star Wars. Mm-hmm. So, we can agree on that. And Star... And, oh, yeah, sure. And, like, Star Trek was like doing great like it was canceled but it was doing great like in in like syndication and reruns and stuff throughout the 70s so much so that the people at paramount are like hey there's this star wars thing that's going on do we have anything we can do to capitalize on it so Mm -hmm. star wars came out i think 77 like the the first one right yep so then we got we have the execs that are like hey Let's let's do something about it. Hey Gene, you want to do something? And that's where he was trying to take these ideas from Star Trek Phase Two, which was going to be um, kind of a continuation of the five year, five year mission of Kirk and company. Um, but eventually kept getting like shot down, and that's what we kind of morphed into Star Trek: The Motion Picture. Have you ever seen the Motion Picture, the nineteen seventy nine one? Yep. Yeah, I've watched watched all the movies as well. Okay. So I think it's really interesting that that they've kind of done stuff like that for each other. Yes, yes. Well, and it, it all makes us dream. You know, I think one of the, the coolest things that we can look back and on, on either of these and think about just just our just our hopes and dreams for the future. Because you know, I mean, like you, we didn't turn out here in 2019 in our George Jetson. Uh, flying cars and pill food sort of deal, but you know, heck, you, you we've got touch screens. Yep, <laughs> we've we sure as heck got touch screens and um, you know data pads. You know, iPad. Uh, same thing passing around. You know, in in so many of these these scenarios. So I think I think they both had a dream, and it it allow this is. The one thing I love about sci-fi is all of it necessarily going to happen. No, we could talk about space travel and how that <clears throat> is probably a little bit more difficult, but <clears throat> at least for now. But will it happen? Heck, 
I think so. Uh, as long as we continue to have the, the dream of things, you can continue to propel on. But that's what I love about sci-fi. It allows you to dream. Use your imagination. Too many people don't have imagination. Now I sound like an old guy. Too many of you kids don't have imagination anymore. You know, it's... I used to play with sticks. <laughs> I love the fact that you bring up this idea, we, we got to dream. Like, it's, it's important to dream and stuff like that. There's a quote uh, from um, an episode of Next Gen, actually. Um, uh, and it's a really weird episode, honestly. It's a Troy episode. It's called Night Terrors. But Dr. Oh, yeah. Dr. Crusher uh, says we have to dream in order to survive. Yeah. And that's a very telling quote right there. Like, we have to dream in order to survive. And, and she goes on to talk about, like, the, the the implications of needing REM sleep and stuff like that. And, right. And, you know, if you don't, you know, then we can become irritable, paranoid, and, you know, some people are going to experience some hallucinations. So, I mean, yes, we're talking about dreaming in terms of, like, imagination and, like, something bigger than ourselves. But I think there's also, without getting too, um, too sappy, David, if you'll just allow me for a second, I think it's important for us to have rest. It's very important for us to have rest. And I don't think there are enough folks that are taking the time to rest and stop being on the go, you know. Yeah. So we have to dream. We have to dream. Like we have to look beyond ourselves and like what we want to accomplish, what we want to do for the world. But we also need to dream in terms of resting. That's where like the creativity and like the good stuff really happens. So for all y'all listening, go take a nap after you read after you listen to this episode. Little siesta. There you go. So anyway, I don't. We went way off on that. That's okay. (laughs) (laughs) Next up, the philosophical podcast here on NPR. (laughs) So, well, I mean, it's Star Trek. It's got to be philosophical. It's got to have like those those morals and whatever message stuffs. So, oh, that was. (laughs) Now that you bring that up, season two. Did you ever think about how much of a PSA this was for Wesley? I just, I just remember uh, rewatching like there was something. Oh, you had the race that I don't again episode names escape me, but you had one race of aliens that was contingent on the other race of aliens on like you know basically uh, parallel planets. Uh, one made a drug, one had a disease. And they shifted back and forth, but we find out that the one planet, they didn't have the disease anymore, but they were hopelessly addicted to the drug. Yes. Um, and then they had to explain to Wesley about, uh, you know, why, uh, Tasha, why would, uh, why would people want drugs? Well, Wesley, let me tell you about my planet. They're good. They're good. <laughs> no, I, I, I did think that was funny, because, like, even, even, I watched this one last night where he was in charge of a team, and so he's getting advice from all the senior officers about running a team. Oh, poor Wesley. Poor sweet Wesley. And I wish I could remember that. I just watched that episode not too long. I'm doing my own uh, rewatch right now, preparing for Picard yeah. and stuff. And Yeah. That was one of the... I think that was one of the more controversial episodes of, of season one of Next Gen. I think it's like one of the most negatively reviewed 
uh, right, be- really? right behind Code of Honor. Really? Yeah. Interesting. But you got to think. I, th- I, I mean, like that time is like right around the time that Reg- like the Reagan administration was yeah, like, yeah, like trying to fight the opioid crisis and yeah, you know, all those issues and stuff as well. But oh. yeah. Yeah, we're we're definitely gonna get to that. Phil Phil Seidel is definitely gonna experience that uh, in the near future. When since we're baptizing him into Star Trek right now. Oh, good for Phil. Yeah, and then he can fill us in on that too. Yes, he can. Yes, he can. So, so with Star Wars coming out in in seventy seven, and then its sequels in eighty and eighty three, uh, specifically the sequel that came out in eighty. Uh, I mean, we had, we kind of had like the, it's not the best Star Trek movie. It's the most like Star Trek, but it's one of the more negatively reviewed ones. And that's the motion picture. Mm-hmm. The The production studios were not too happy with how it turned out. So they bring in new folks and they're like, hey, we want something yeah. more like Star Wars, basically. And that's where we get like Wrath of Khan and onward. So... God. Yes. <laughs> so start I, I, in the, in the new in the reboot series. As soon as it was kind of like evident that this was Khan, it's like I'm waiting. Come on, Chris. Okay, on, Chris. I have I, just, I have issues. When you, you brought this you brought this up, so I have issues with this. <laughs> okay, you ready? Here we go. I'm gonna be go for I'm it. gonna be an angry nerd troll for just a second. Do it. Do it. Do it. Let the anger flow. <laughs> so okay. The Kelvin timeline was created from the Hobus star exploding in um, in whatever the star date was, okay, with Spock mm-hmm. and all that. So everything, everything was peachy keen and a-okay, okay, going forward. And then they go back and they create this split in the timeline, okay. So now we have yeah. we have this little split going on, but everything that happened prior to that split was intact. Okay, so everything that happened in Enterprise was intact. The yeah. the, Zoc, the the Zephyrum Cochrane uh, warp flight that was intact. All the stuff that happened before that was intact. Okay, the eugenics war, where Khan came from in 1999. Yep. Okay. David, call me crazy. How does a Mexican American? turn into a Brit. <laughs> it wasn't the actor actually like Portuguese or something. Yeah, probably, like probably. Okay, but how does how does a, how does a, a Portuguese actor playing a Mexican here? <laughs> how does a Hispanic? There we go. We'll just do like some kind of Hispanic yeah. Latin descent yeah. person turn into a white British person. <laughs> Eugenics, bro. <laughs> Oh, that's funny. I like that a lot. I don't know why that bothers me so much, but it does. Like, seriously. I, I love Benedict Cumberbatch, but yeah, it's 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 different. That's Hollywood for I mean, I, I would have been okay if they would have brought in, like, George Lopez or something instead. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. That's hilarious. Anyway. So. I did, I did, I did love 
a lot of those movies though the original movies just some of those just had some real gems in them i still i still love voyage home save the whales them and their social commentary on how we're destroying the world and we might need it someday and stuff like that so anyway yeah we're gonna do future episodes on the movies and stuff so if there's one that you want to talk about i'd love to have you back to talk about it absolutely uh where where the heck was i going i just lost my train of thought thanks a lot dude he ran off on tangents about con yeah i've gone from you know latino to british well done (laughs) (laughs) uh so with with the whole like trek to wars to trek and its resurgence which i don't know if trek like the the 80s and 90s trek really contributed to to you know phantom menace onward i'd like to think it does somehow yeah i mean i i I still i I think i think that there's definitely an, an inspirational value to it for sure um i think one of the things that like you know george lucas had way more technology at that time of making the prequel trilogy so in a lot of ways he kind of went off the rails and just did whatever he wanted and one of the things that I like to remind people about you know folks kind of are looking a little bit more fondly on the prequel trilogy now because we've had you know years to sort of digest folks were really mean to him like just sickeningly mean to George Lucas at that time. Um, so I think, I think that the, I think you definitely have inspiration, but I also think that George is kind of, he let his imagination go in places that, that it just hadn't had the, co- the capability to go until that time frame. So I, I think, I think as far as, yeah, base inspiration, but also a continuance of what has been going on. Yeah. Cause I even think like as star Trek evolved again, you see more and more, you know, little pieces and parts and things that are, that are different. Um, heck insurrection insurrection deals with the whole kind of fountain of youth sort of thing as well. Um, so I, I, it's, it's an, it's an evolution. There's a lot of evolution in these, in these shows and, but I, I still think, as you've pointed out, that the base inspiration remains the same. You know, you bring up Insurrection. That is the first Star Trek movie that I think it's... Yeah, that was the first Star Trek movie that I saw in theaters, and I didn't know what I was watching. In fact, you'll find, you'll find this funny. Um, so that was 1998 when it came out. I went with my best friend, his, yeah. his mom. His mom was a, um, a Trekkie, I'm pretty sure. So shout out to you, Sam, if you're listening. Um... And I remember getting in, like getting in there, and there's a part towards the end where Picard and the main bad dude Ruafu, Ruafo, um, they're on this scaffolding yeah, something, yeah, yeah. right? Like where like, there's this control right. station, and I was just waiting for him to like bust out a lightsaber. That is funny. Yeah, yeah. There's some parallels there, and and I was just like, I, I remember looking, like I remember asking afterwards um, to my best friend's mom, like, why weren't there any lightsabers? Why didn't they use lightsabers? Like, oh, this is Star Trek. I'm like, what? 
this is Trek, not Wars. And I, I had no idea like what that was going like what was going on. And like I've said in previous episodes, and it, funny. people are probably getting sick of me saying this, but like I would watch some Star Trek at my uncle's house, like while they were like working on air conditioners and building stuff at their their house and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I can distinctly remember watching uh, Best of Both Worlds one and two and having nightmares for a very long time. But, um, but yeah, Insurrection is a great movie, and I think yeah, like with the whole like philosophical piece that you're talking about, like with the Fountain of Youth. Um, mm-hmm. What what are some things? Because it's not going to come too readily for me. What are some more uh, like philosophical type um, questions or arguments that you might say um, Star Trek has tackled or is trying to tackle? Oh, it's Star Trek's tackled. Um, Star Wars. Wow. Or Star Wars, yeah. okay. Yeah, Star Wars, you know, has, has I think, attempted to become more of, a, of an all-inclusive sort of thing. So you don't necessarily see a lot of the current event-type socio problems that we're, that we're trying to tackle now or, or that Trek did. A lot of the... A lot of the what it sort of went down is sort of like war. That's always been a that's always been a huge thing for for the Jedi. Are we peacekeepers? Are we generals? Should we even be fighting? Um, there's a thing called the Barash vow, which is essentially a, a vow of you know non-interference in, in most things, and that was um, in the uh, the Charles Soule Vader comic where he had, he was, it was right after episode three and like he's constructing his new lightsaber and he's, you know, the Emperor's sinking his grips and he meets with a, uh, with a Jedi who had just been out meditating. Um, and he, he's attempting to steal his crystal for his own means. But you, you, you had, <clears throat> you had certain Jedi who, who questioned the Clone Wars. Why are we, why are we fighting and why are we killing and what is the what is the use in all of this for us? We're we're supposed to commune with the Force, be one with the Force, and do the Force's bidding. And you kind of saw that, and it was in, I guess, in Episode Three. I think it was actually said by Mace Windu. You know, should we inform the council that our ability to use the force has lessened? Um, so they started to lose lose touch with that, and it it's kind of like the dichotomy between losing yourself in what you're doing. It's funny, you know, we talked a little bit about slowing down and resting and dreaming and all this stuff, and I see a lot of folks now where work becomes the only thing that they do because right. that's what we have to do. We have to make money. But, and it's it's the same sort of parallel with the Jedi when they're all they're doing is making war or they're protecting people or they're fighting in other people's turf wars, and they're losing touch with the Force, which is their life's blood. It's their energy. It's it's what it's what truly fuels them. So that that's been a, a big overarching subject for a long time, and even even we saw in the Last Jedi when Luke disconnects himself from the Force, 
you know, Ray's like expecting this warrior, this battle-hardened general guy, you know, that's going to save everybody with a swing of his lightsaber. But he's like, I'm not doing that anymore. What? I mean, why should I, why should I charge off? You know, we have to be different. Um, you know, every, something has to change. We can't keep doing the same thing. So that, that's the big overarching uh, theme. And then another thing, and, and you touched on it a little bit, was the politics, especially in the prequels. Right. How, how you could have somebody who is charismatic, who knows the, the, the political landscape and winds up taking over everything through every underhanded trick and scheme. And that's, I mean, that's a scary thought that you have a galaxy full of people and they couldn't stop one man from taking everything over and creating the empire. Right. I wanna, so that's that's another kind of cautionary tale. I wonder, I wonder if we could just like kind of camp out on something for just a second, like with what you're talking about, like the Force, uh, like for the Jedi, and mm-hmm. and like them like being connected to it and it being their lifeblood. Um, I'm wondering if if that would be something because like, the Force is it, like we re- let me back up. When we when we see uh, was it Rogue One, uh, cheer it or mm-hmm. chew it, uh, the blind guy. Yeah, cheer it. Yeah, um, it's more of a religion for him, right? Yeah, yeah, he's one of the guardians of the wills. Um, so yeah, there and that's the other thing too is like it kind of for some people becomes almost a religion. Uh, yeah, because he's always I'm one with the force, and the force is with me, as as uh, as like a chant, as a as a prayer, like a monk's chant. And we see that in some of the new books, uh, Black Spire, um, you know, Asavi and the Gatherers, who are trying to gather old artifacts tied to the Jedi in almost like this reverent way. And we got the Force Collector, which just came out. Uh, with a boy who has the ability to touch objects and see its past. And so he, at the end of that book, spoiler, uh, figures out that his place in the universe is to collect these things and essentially behold them on to who comes next or who's going to need them sort of deal. So, yeah, there's some of that too. So, Well, what I'm, what I'm kind of wondering maybe like more philosophical like meaning making with this is you know with the jedi needing to slow down kind of like we're talking about like the rest part like slowing down meditating right um it might be along the same lines of folks that uh, are more spiritual as well like it doesn't matter if it's a christian tradition uh, a buddhist an islam Mm -hmm. a whatever tradition that they might have or no tradition at all i think there's still something to be said about the whole meditation and, and looking at the yeah. the inner immaterial part of yourself, regardless of your faith tradition. And again, I'm not, I haven't, you know, drank the Kool-Aid like you and other folks have with <laughs> Star Wars. Nothing wrong with that. Um, but, no, I get you. but like I can remember in uh, Phantom Menace when the big fight between uh, Qui-Gon, Obi-Wan, and Darth Maul is going on, Obi-Wan right. gets separated from Qui-Gon and there's a and he can't his like perspective is kind of off because of how far he away he is and he can't really tell mm-hmm. where Qui-Gon is in relation to Darth Maul but there's one point where where Qui-Gon just gets down and kneels and he's starting to like meditate and yeah. 
I don't really see that much. And I don't know if that's intentional or if, or what, but you just don't really see that much in episode two or three. Uh, I mean, you kind of see it a little bit in episode four briefly with Obi-Wan whenever he's fighting um, um, Darth Vader on the space station. Yeah. Like he's kind of, he like does like the whole lightsaber up and closes his eyes and stuff. Yeah. Um, I don't even know where I was going with that other than just seeing like there's like this meditation and rest component mm-hmm. that's going on with these characters. So yeah, like in the, that's, that's, that's been part of the discipline, the meditation. Um, I could go off on a whole tangent about that one specific moment of Qui-Gon's meditation tying into the master and apprentice book, but that would take far too long to explain. But yeah, the, the meditation aspect of, again, it's, it's the communing with the force drawing it to yourself and Qui-Gon was a unique uh, individual where his thought process was in the living force so we're not meant to control it or aim it like a weapon we're meant to follow it and flow like a river uh, you know as opposed to trying to dam it up and force it to do what I want you can't do that it has a will of its own it's its own living thing and I am here as a more like a conduit to do its bidding sort of deal. So it, you could you could almost get into, you know, parallels between, you know, high spirituality and angels and things of that nature doing, you know, whatever uh, divine beings bidding as it's written sort of deal. Uh, there's there's a lot in the origination of the Jedi too, but again, there's there's so much lore that is either not canon or you know people still cling on to. But cling on, yeah. The meditation aspect. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one day we'll we'll have to do like a like a species versus battle. Uh, you know, it, could the Death Star take down the Enterprise or a Borg cube or something? You know, I was just about, I was just about to roll into that in this episode. Do it. <laughs> <laughs> so I know that uh, you know myself uh, and a few of our other podcasting friends. We, we're all spread out with like different areas of fandom: Star Wars, yeah. Lord of the Rings, Narnia. Bend the knee, or uh, mm-hmm. not bend the knee, um, uh, Song of Ice Game and Fire, of Game of Thrones stuff. Yep. So I still think we need to do like an Order of the Nerd podcast show where we have like what ifs, like with our fandoms, like how our yeah. fandoms would like um, handle a situation that happened in another person's fandom. So yeah, this will be a backdoor pilot for that. How about that? Yeah, there's definitely some plans plans in the works. I know we've all sort of had had some thoughts about that. But, but yeah, very interesting. Some of the some of the what ifs, because uh, I know that I know I've seen some some memey sort of stuff about you know the Death Star showing up to a Borg cube and could the Borg cube actually adapt to that much firepower? I start to wonder if it could. Yeah, I actually posted that that uh, picture that meme on the show's oh, podcast. Okay. So for anyone that might wonder what the heck we're talking about, just go to TRTV Pod on Instagram and check it out. Yeah. Uh, uh, but okay, so let's just—you brought out the Borg and stuff. So mm-hmm. we know, um, or at least most of us probably know, that the stormtroopers are not the greatest shots. <laughs> so, yeah, how much more successful? would the Galactic Empire be 
if the Borg were the foot soldiers of the Empire? That would be very that would be very interesting. Um, you, you start to think about tactics because in a lot of the, a lot of track and like first contact comes to mind. That's an, probably probably is my favorite one, and then undiscovered country. But anyway, you know the modulation of your your phaser, uh, creating different shield harmonics against cubes, things like that to try and fake them out because they're so adept at learning. It's kind of hard to defeat the Borg. I mean, it, it happens, but it's not an easy task. But stormtroopers, on the other hand, uh, <laughs> you know, it, it all depends. The movies kind of portray them as a little bit lamer, but then you get certain writers who write them pretty OP and so forth. But uh, but yeah, I think I I think I would be interested to see the the Emperor just letting loose a, a legion of Borg. That would be nuts. I kind of feel like everything would be screwed. <laughs> <laughs> With the devious planning and the the collective Borg, I think uh, I think a long long time ago would not would not venture into the future. It'd just be Borg. <laughs> right. That'd be wild. An entire like they would assimilate the past, kind of like they were trying to do with. Uh, yeah. With uh, first contact and whatnot. So, yeah. what if we had Jedi Borg? <laughs> Borgs with lightsabers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, what are the Borg's weapons? Because honestly, you don't really see them have weapons. They just kind of come at you and then like turn you. Pretty much. Do they really ever have weapons? Like energy weapons or anything? Um. On their person. Nothing comes to mind. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. I mean, it's just it's just kind of they're they're just coming, and then the numbers are so big, and their ships are so hard to defeat. Yeah. Yeah. There was a there was some some show that pitted like ancient warriors against each other on like I don't know whatever network it was. Uh, that'd be interesting to have one of those. How many how many star destroyers would it take to defeat a Borg cube? Could a Romulan warship stand up against an X-wing? It could, because an X-wing is small. But I'm just saying, <laughs> that would be an interesting show. I'd watch that. And then the ultimate showdown: the Death Star and I don't know, a giant Borg cube, a legion of Starfleet ships. That'd be interesting. Or who would win, Ewoks or Packlets? Oh no, Packlets. <laughs> we are strong. Yeah. We go fast. <laughs> we have weapons. We have weapons. He is smart. <laughs> oh, that's good. That is good. So teddy bears that eat granola bars, or unibrows. Well, I mean, they did have a lot of helmets laying around. I think they were cannibal bears. Ah, eh, well, okay. And then they played the drums. Played drums with, with helmets. On their heads. <laughs> oh, goodness. A legion of teddy bears coming at you. That's one of those, like, uh, would you rather fight a horse-sized duck or a hundred duck-sized horses? Oh, dang. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> 
I don't know, and I don't know if I want to know that answer. I don't want to know. <laughs> I really, I really don't want to know that. Oh, good gravy. Well, um, are we forgetting anything? I can't tell if we're forgetting anything. I think there's plenty of time to re-remember and record again if you ever need another co-host there for the day. <laughs> oh, man. So, okay, we've talked uh, briefly about, like, uh, our introduction. Maybe it was briefly. Maybe it was longer. I don't know. Uh, about, like, you know, how you got into track, how I got into wars, um, and some other stuff. Um, do you... Did you... You said that... Um, uh, was it Deep Space Nine was your favorite uh, Star Trek show? Um, or is that just the one that you have the most rewatch value for you? Yeah, Deep Space Nine has the most rewatch value. I would probably say the next gen is probably my favorite. Okay. What do you like about next gen um, to make it your favorite? Uh, well, the characters are a big part of it. But there are so many little episodes that I just wind up remembering so vividly um, that just that just stick in my mind. Sure. You know, and when I think about things and they stick in my mind like that so vividly, that that's usually maybe it's a little piece of nostalgia, too. But, you know, for me, I think. It's just those little episodes I remember, the characters that I that I just enjoy watching, um, you know. But again, Deep Space Nine is one that I can I can definitely rewatch over and over again for sure. Okay. Okay. So let's see here. In a fight between Captain Kirk and Han Solo, who would win? Kirk and Han Solo. Uh, Kirk Fu against the charging ram of Han Solo. Because <laughs> you know those are the moves. Han just kind of shoulder charges you and Kirk does a little judo chop. I mean, Kirk did take down a Gorn. I mean, granted, he shot it with some weird improvised cannon. But he chopped him a few times, too. Uh, well, I gotta say, I'm gonna say it's Han Solo because Han shot first, or and he wouldn't get to the fight. Or did he, according to Disney Plus? Oh god, I don't even. He totally did originally, but I just, <laughs> I, I think that the, that the, uh, the rogue that that Han is, if he discovered he was gonna have to fight Kirk, he probably would have just shot first. <laughs> so. Kind of like, but in a hand-to-hand combat, that's interesting because I don't. I don't know that Han's really a hand-to-hand guy. He's more blasters ready. But Kirk, being in Starfleet, I mean, despite the kind of somewhat cheesy fighting style of the '60s, they do go through some combat training. Sure. So I would, I would kind of expect in a hand, true hand-to-hand. I think Kirk might, might do it. Okay. Well, I know I'm kind of like weaving and kind of going all over the place right now, but we, we've kind of touched on it just a little bit with with like the whole fandom issues and stuff uh, or the f- mm-hmm. what do you think is is the the biggest driving force in terms of the wedge between the two fandoms and how do you think that we can overcome it if it's capable of being overcome 
There you go. Philosophical Star Trek question for you. I think I, I think folks just get very passionate. And I think that there are some people that only have so much passion and can't relay that across lines. Um, I remember a guy at, uh, I think it was at Celebration, yeah, it was at Star Wars Celebration this past year. He wore a uh, red shirt uniform with a lightsaber going through his torso. (laughs) That was his cosplay, being stabbed by a lightsaber. But... I think that there are folks that can appreciate multiple angles, but again, it kind of goes into the, do you want the mythical side or do you want the science side? And I think that, um, I think that Star Wars kind of can be a little bit more acceptable to folks that don't want to be labeled as nerds. And I don't think Star Trek fans, fans are nerds, but I think that sometimes there's that perception that oh you're all science you're clearly nerds yeah but uh to build the bridge stop being mean to each other and realize that you can watch more than one thing for god's sake right (laughs) the thing the thing that i can understand but it also kind of rubs me the wrong way kind of going back to jj abrams and i think he does good work i really enjoyed lost i know he was I mean, I think he spearheaded Lost, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah. And I know he did good work with Force Awakens and stuff like that. And I know he's coming back for uh, Rise of Skywalker. But one thing that he's he's gone on record as saying is, and I'm probably going to butcher the quote, but he was saying that I want I wanted to create a Star Trek movie that I would want to watch. So he didn't really yeah he didn't really wasn't into Star Trek at all. So he was more he was a star star wars guy i mean i think even then he wanted to do more star wars work or try and get close to george lucas and do stuff even then yeah so yeah in fact i was talking to eric um the guy that was on the last show with me um and he was saying that like for him it's it's a good movie and it would have been a great movie had they just not called it star trek um yeah and I think it's missing like the philosophical piece. It was, and even with Discovery, like I, Discovery is someone's Star Trek, and that's okay. But like, it's going yeah. more like the fantasy mythical route with Discovery than it is with the sci-fi. Um, like, it really yeah. Star Trek, I think, needs to like really get you thinking about stuff. Like, it doesn't have to be like you know groundbreaking, earth-shattering, you know, thought-provoking right. stuff. But it just needs to make you go like, huh? At least a couple times, you know in a show or throughout the season or whatever. Um, And Discovery kind of does that. And J.J. Trek doesn't really do that. I I mean... Yeah. yeah. So I think that's the piece that's missing, is that we have the IP of Star Trek, but Star Wars folks are trying to, like, run roughshod and kind of eliminate the the philosophical thought-provoking stuff yeah. in more current Star Trek. Yeah, I, I can I can follow you on that logic, too, for sure. So, I mean, I think Marina Sirtis was saying at one point, like in one of her panels, that she wants people to enjoy, like, the Enterprises and the other shows and stuff like that, and even the reruns. I mean... It doesn't matter where you watch, if it's on BBC America, it's on any other channel, or it's on a streaming service. If you are introduced to the new stuff, then you're going to want to hopefully know how stuff started. I mean, right? Or, yeah. like William Shatner, 1960s Star Trek, 
it was a long time before I went and watched it, but I was able to appro uh, like appreciate it. And I had even more questions. I'm like, wait a second, why does Zephyr Cochran look like this in this show, but totally different in this movie? Yeah, yeah. So, I, I like, I can appreciate, I, this whole conversation's been about appreciating each other's fandoms. Like, mm -hmm. I don't have to be in love with Star Wars, and you don't have to be in love with Star Trek. I can choose to be, right. and... I mean, for crying out loud, you and your brother have a friggin' Star Wars podcast. So I mean, you're gonna <laughs> right. you're gonna like it a little bit more, probably. Yeah, a little bit. Um, but wherever I was going, um, I just think it's important to to really appreciate each other's stuff and how it might just get us into the world of sci-fi in general. Because I think, yes, you know, if if a, a, a movie, I think I think it can come down to this, and maybe you'll agree or disagree. But I really think if you really get down to it Star Wars will make you feel and Star Trek will make you think it'll make you feel yes. too it, it'll make you feel yeah there's some like I think I think that's pretty accurate yeah that's painting with very broad strokes so no if you want to oh, yeah. if you want to hate tweet me go for it or <laughs> hate message me go for it I'm painting with very broad strokes and I know I am guys <laughs> no I, I think I think it's valid though it's a valid point because like war conflict relationships politicking that's going to bring up some like major emotions for you yes and then like the exploration that's i mean that yes that's speaking to your soul and to your heart but how do we think through things how do we work through things together with people that might differ from ourselves and there's that overlap you know like you're going to have folks in star wars that you don't get along with that you have to figure out how to get along with i mean like Lando and Han, like they didn't really yep. get along with each other, and they ended up becoming friends? Question mark. Yeah, yeah, sure. About the, about what you call it. There's something. <laughs> yeah, they're friends. <laughs> <laughs> and then, like all the other alien species that you come in contact with from any era of Star Trek. Uh, I mean, like right. I think Voyager is a great. Like Star Trek Voyager is a great example of that, with the whole Maquis crew and the Starfleet crew. Yeah, true, very true. Yeah, that was that was definitely good intermingling for sure. I mean, like I said, I, it's it's not that I didn't enjoy it; it's just not my favorite series. Mm -hmm. But they had to learn how to coexist. You know, however many light years away from home what was it 70 years it would have taken them to get back or something like that yeah they were so 70 70,000 light years from home if I'm not mistaken which would have taken them roughly 70 ish years to get home yeah that's wild yeah which to your point in like talking about like getting along and intermingling and stuff that goes back to Naboo and the Gungans yep yeah, yeah, they had to had to learn to coexist to resist the Trade Federation. That much is for sure. Yeah, I'm not gonna do a Gungan impression though, so we'll just leave that for another day. <clears throat> Gungans. Well, I uh, I think we've talked a lot, and I don't want to just keep on yeah. talking for the sake of talking. But um, if we 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 almost did a. Uh, Lane and Ez podcast length here. <laughs> yes. Yeah. By the time it's all said and done, it might. We've been doing. I mean, it's it's like three in the morning right now. We're recording, and I'm getting so tired. <laughs> Just kidding. It's yeah. it's eleven o'clock in the morning on like a Saturday. Exactly. 
<laughs> anyway, um, well, if you ever want to talk Star Wars and Star Trek again, I'd love to have you back. Absolutely. Sounds fun. Sweet. Well, um, thank you again, David, for uh, coming on the show and uh, having some fun today. Again, I want to thank, thank David for uh, stopping by and uh, boarding the Vigilant today as we have gone to um, a galaxy uh, far, far away. Uh, hope you guys were able to, not able to, but I hope you guys enjoyed uh, this episode of um, Trek Wars uh, in which we just talked about Star Trek and Star Wars and uh, the fandom had a little bit of fun talking about uh, both things. Now, um, if you go and you, you uh, follow us on uh, Facebook, Instagram, um, and Twitter, you'll know, or at least you'll have noticed, that we have put up the schedule for the month of December uh, here in 2019. Uh, so we have we, we have the shows planned right now, and uh, once we get closer to the end of the month, uh, first of next month in the new year, uh, we will post um, the show schedule for that month. So that's something that you can kind of keep an eye on um, and kind of see what we're going to be talking about, um, or at least try and guess what we're going to be talking about. Um, um, as you've just listened to this episode, you'll have known that David uh, Fogel has been our our guest for today for the December show. Um, and for the rest of the month, we're going to um, have Eric Christofferson that you heard in the episode Very Old Friends. And, um, of course, Phil Seidel from the History of Middle-Earth um, Archives uh, podcast, uh, the Minas Tirith Archives podcast, uh, coming back um, to do his introductory reaction episode to the first few episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation. So thank you guys for, for listening. Uh, if you've already listened to the TRTV News episode, thank you, uh, especially the ones, the first two that dropped. We just had one that dropped uh, recently preceding this episode. Um, so we're, we're still tweaking, tweaking the format of that, uh, and we might even tweak the format of the main show, kind of like I, I said in the, the second uh, TRTV News um, show. So if, if you're enjoying it, please let us know what you're enjoying. Um, we want to make sure that this show is something that you enjoy, that your friends can enjoy, and that you feel like you have some ownership, um, you know, with it. Um, so, of course, um, you know, thank you, thank you, thank you for those that have, have stuck around and listened to this show uh, and and just, you know, made it what it is. Um, you know, I can, I can talk and I can ramble and I can talk about all these Star Trek things with these Star Trek uh, friends of mine. Um, but it means the world to me that we have people all over the country and all over the world that are setting the time aside to to listen to um, these ideas, these thoughts about different aspects of Star Trek. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, if you want to um, to support us financially, make sure you head over to patreon.com slash these are the voyages. There are different tiers, different rewards. Um, and, uh, pretty soon we're going to, uh, be working on a little script for, um, our first away mission with, um, some of our patrons. So, uh, make sure that you go over, check it out, kind of see what we're talking about. And we're going to start getting some, um, ready room, some observation lounge, uh, shows set up for patrons only. Um, and those will be, um, special discussions that we'll do. Um, and, um, those, 
those that are come on board that do that, um, you know, you'll be a part of that and, um, you'll be able to, um, also eventually, uh, do some more, more stuff. That's kind of, we're kind of keeping under wraps. So, um, apart from that, uh, make sure that you like subscribe, leave us a review on, um, on like Apple, on iTunes, um, on, uh, Stitcher, anywhere that you might listen, um, and that you tell a friend about it. Uh, one way that we can, um, only grow and get better is not only by you listening, but by, um, other people knowing about the show as well. So if you like it, tell other people about it. Um, you can always get in contact with us. We want to share your Trek story. So you've heard some Trek stories on this podcast already from the, the, the guests that have come on. So if you want us to, to read or know about your Trek story, uh, type us, type us an email, um, send us a voicemail, something that we can, uh, read or talk about in a future episode of these are the voyages. Now, how can you do that? I'm glad you asked. You can open hailing frequencies and you can um, enter in coordinates trtvpod at gmail.com. You can also send us a voice only transmission by entering coordinates 817 752 4757. Now, remember, there's a three minute limit, and your comments may be used on a future episode of These Are the Voyages. Now, if you want to send us a long range communication and you want to send us, um, um, a parcel using, um, you know, communication buoys, um, you can do that by also entering in coordinates to the Lone Star Station, P.O. Box 2455, that's Azel, Texas, A-Z-L-E, 76098. I want to thank each and every one of you for sticking around this long, and, um, and we, wouldn't, we wouldn't be what we are without you. So, um, again, thank you, David. Thank you to all the previous guests. Thank you to all the listeners that have listened to this episode. As always, may you boldly go and make it so.